the Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association, more commonly known as VEPLA. VEPLA is a non-political, multidisciplinary professional association concerned with planning, legal and environmental fields. Welcome to PX53 Today. I'm Jess Noonan and as always I'm joined by co-founder of the podcast, Peter Jewell. Afternoon Jess. Today we're talking with Ned Schofield and Raquel Buedo, a husband and wife team who started from McIntyre, Australia a company that produces some of the world's finest merino wool clothes. With the label McIntyre Australia, Ned and Raquel want Australians to rethink the material. The company can trace its origins back to the establishment of Glen O in 1846, a farm outside of Hamilton in Victoria. Ned and Raquel's aim is to produce the finest wool garments to make merino wool cool. Now you might think, what has merino fashion got to do with planning exchange? Well, lots. We're interested in rural business enterprise, value adding to agricultural products and sustainable development, as well as what city planning can learn from business entrepreneurs and high-end fashion. Economic revitalisation is a theme we've examined with placemakers and more recently John Henschel in PX51 about the revitalisation of Clarksdale, Mississippi. Now to Ned and Raquel. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hi. Now, can you tell us a little bit about McIntyre Australia, when you established it and something about the product lines? Sure. Um, so we launched McIntyre in 2006. We make all our products with Australian merino wool and we manufacture in Australia. Uh, in terms of our product lines, we, we make sweaters or jumpers, beanies, scarves uh, and newly introduced t-shirts and I can vouch, listeners, I've actually bought three of the jumpers. So well, that's how this are. podcast came about, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> well, I'm just really impressed with the quality and the fact that you could buy an Australian jumper mm. made of really good quality. Uh, that's what, that, you know, it, and even the branding's good. The history of the site is fantastic. It's very authentic. So I'm stealing your, stealing your thunder. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. Um, the history's a good point. So... Um, we called the brand McIntyre because I grew up on a sheep farm, uh, which was founded by my ancestor, Mr. Duncan McIntyre, in 1846. And we've been growing merino wool ever since on the property. So it's, uh, it definitely runs in my veins. And Raquel, you're from the Netherlands. Correct. So a long way away from the broadacre Australian farming. <laughs> true, yeah. So true, yeah. But... Going to the farm in 2011 was such an eye-opener because there was such a disconnect between farmers and the fashion. And um, me being a fashion nista, working in fashion my whole life, was just like blown away by it. So, yeah. Mm. And so what was your family doing with the merino wool prior to you guys starting the label? Uh, so selling the wool at auction. At auction, sure. Yeah. yeah. Which they continue to do. And most Australian wool of that good quality gets sent overseas for processing overseas and making the garments. Yeah, 99.5% gets sent overseas for processing. So McIntyre Australia is fairly unique in that space? 
Uh, Being a local manufacturer? Yeah, we are. Our, our manufacturing, um, we, we use Australian wool and we manufacture in Australia. We all, however, our wool is processed offshore in China. Um, so we essentially buy our wool back from a Chinese or Italian mill and we knit it in Australia. Now we can get into that in the detail later. We, of course, yeah, that would, that's, that's interesting. What was the motivation for the two of you to, to start the business? And may, maybe to tell that story, what were you doing before that mm. led you into this business? Uh, I moved to Australia in 2009 and uh, Net, Net's father wanted to retire and we just decided like, why don't we give it a shot? We moved to the farm. Me as a city girl didn't really think about that, but yeah, we just <laughs> moved to the farm. Um, we arrived in the farm and we both started working there and you get like, like I said before, like you see wool and you go like, wow. And then it was a magazine, Alexander Wang was holding like a sheep and I said to his father like, look, Alexander Wang. And his father was just like, who? Alexander <laughs> who? I'm sorry, and, uh, excuse my ignorance, who is he? Oh, um, hey. Very well renowned yes, yeah. international designer. Yeah. Sorry. And of it was course you wouldn't know that. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. But it was like such a good point because that was when the whole industry started to shift away from like, let's make sustainable products. And I think he was one of the first designers that really only focused on wool at that point. Anyway, back to us was like, we were there talking a lot about it. And then after a year, we decided that we were not farmers. Unfortunately, no, it's good because I was not a farmer. And we moved back and that's how we started rolling because we wanted to do something with wool, mm. but we did not know how. Yeah, so that was in 2011. And we, we sort of decided that farming wasn't for us. And we moved back to the city and we both got jobs in the fashion industry. And we were sort of bubbling away with the idea of, you know, how can we create a wool brand or something to do with wool? And um, it was in 2011, uh, sorry, 2015, where the light bulb moment came and we were like, what we can do is great quality merino knitwear made in Australia and our point of difference will be our colours and our shapes and styles because we want to aim towards a younger audience. Not the daggy old grandfather jumper. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's key for us to, to educate the consumer that, you know, uh, wool is not scratchy. Wool can be machine washable. You can wear wool next to your skin. Um, wool can come in bright colours and seasonal colours. There's, there's a whole lot of education to be done around wool and um, we feel we're in quite a good place to do it because we're sort of positioned more to the younger consumer. How did you get your jumper then? I think I, I think, <laughs> I, I think I read about it in The Australian. Yep. I think you gave an, yeah. an interview and I thought, wow, um, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I think the last Australian made jumper was something Kennett did in the early 2000s. Mm. And uh, the jumpers I buy are, are all imported and they're, they're not great quality even though they're pretty pricey. Mm. So I just thought, wow. And I, then I read the backstory, and I know the Western District where the farm is and I yep. thought how authentic. Um, and it's been, I haven't been let down. Three mm. jumpers in and... Uh, you you know, buy them for your kids as well? I bought one for yeah. my eldest, yeah. So... Um, 
So can you explain, you've explained the, the link with the raw material yeah. and the farm manager is actually, by strange coincidence, a former town planner, Tom. Yeah, that's true. So, um, uh, Tom Schofield. Tom Schofield is now running the farm. I think the to give a bit of background, so when Raquel and I decided that we didn't want to run the farm, a big part of that year was spent working with my father to uh, lease the farm out. And we sort of went through the planning stage of, you know, get, getting a, uh, a business that's been in the family for over 100 years ready to rent out, which is quite a difficult thing, as you can imagine. And, yeah, as part of that process, uh, my cousin Tom uh, came up as, as someone who was interested in leasing it and, and it made sense for both of us. And it's fantastic because the farm... Uh, farm management stays in the family and, and we get to go down there and, and visit regularly. So it's great. Now, many people in, don't realise that modern Australia for a long period rode the sheep's back. It yeah. was one of our, one of our major uh, exports. And, but the wool industry's had a lot of down, ups and downs. Uh, I remember with uh, great wool glut yeah. uh, and all sorts of things. But things are looking much brighter for wool now, do you think? I think so, yeah. Like if you look historically compared to the 2000s and the 90s, the, the wool price uh, is really good at the moment. And, um, and then if you look at the reasons why, it goes back to what Raquel said earlier, I think is um, um, designers like Alexander Wang are using uh, the... Was it Alexander Wang? Or? Yes. And Alexander McQueen, sorry, are, are using the product. And that trickles down. The, the fashion industry, um, higher fashion will do something and then years later, mainstream fashion will follow. And so those higher fashion brands using wool, it definitely trickles down into a more mainstream. And because it's a natural fibre, do you think that taps into this uh, environmental uh, understanding a lot of consumers have now? Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think we're finally getting back. It's like we went through the stage that people just became a bit dumb and just went like, I'm just going to buy for the sake of buying. And I think now we're finally getting to a point like we only have one planet. Let's not destroy it by just buying all this kind of just, Synthetic. yeah, like synthetics. But yeah, and then I think that's what triggers it as well. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a shift to more... Um, to more consumers buying natural fibres mm. and, and to caring more about their products. And also looking for long long wear products yeah. as well. I think that's something that we've all moved towards. Maybe it's as I get older that, you know, everyone around me is yeah. looking for the, the longer wear product. I think a really good measure for that is the cost per wear. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at a the value of a $200 item that lasts for 10 years versus a $50 item that last for one year mm. you get much more value out of the 200 dollar mm. item definitely and speaking of value adding it, it's difficult there's many economists have sought to value add to australian agricultural products mm. but your experience perhaps suggests it's a very hard thing to do yeah i mean it, um look it's hard to start any business i think um to give any business credit it's hard to get going and hard to come up with a concept and I think um, for us, the best inspiration is the food industry from, from farm to plate. 
and if you look at you know beef producers and what they're doing and and if you go to any inner city cafe i think there's you'll find on the item that there's a lot of uh story behind where the eggs came from where the the hams from the food miles yeah, yeah and i think so i think that's a really important indicator of where how consumers are starting to think yeah definitely i also think that nowadays like we are guilty of it as well like our first apartment that we bought was environmentally friendly and i think we're living in the society now that we also want to know we just don't want to buy for buying like our place that we bought was had solar panels and like recycle like recycled all the bricks from the building and all those kind of things and that's the shift as well. We don't just buy for buying. Like I think it's really that important thing that a more considered purchase. Yes, yeah. mm. like in the bigger and things as well. And I think that's also about the education coming through, particularly in the younger generation. Their expectations around those sorts of things yes. are a lot higher than perhaps they were even when I was, you know, at that point. It yeah, just, that's a good point. Yeah, I think I think our parents. I don't know if it's because they lost it, but they just got on with busy lives. I think mm. that the generation before our parents were more like, oh, it's good to buy war and blah, blah. And locally then, made. Yeah, locally made. And mm. then our gen- our parents just suddenly became, they became business people, orientated, worked really hard to make sure that we, and then we are suddenly this generation again that goes, like, hold on a minute. That's the baby boomer generation yeah. Yeah. you're talking about. That's it. Yes. And I think we are at this point now that well, we also need to open our eyes, but we are opening our eyes a bit more. Mm. So how difficult was it to set up the chain of sourcing the material, design, production and marketing? Good question. Um, when, when we started the brand, we thought, we own a merino sheep farm. Why don't we make merino wool products? We'll do it all, all in Australia. It'll be nice and easy. Um, it was a little bit more complicated than this uh, because... Australia lost the ability to process the natural fibres in the 90s and it all went offshore to, to China, Southeast Asia and, and Italy to a lesser extent. So why was that, just out of interest? Uh, I guess... Um, the cost? Yeah, I mean, yeah. everything went offshore in the 90s, didn't it? Yeah. But, but cost, cost of wages is a mm. big one. Um, investment in infrastructure is the other one. The processing plants to scour wool or, or wash it uh, are quite expensive and large. And, and just a trade in general. Like if you put a job as like a scourer or a lawyer next to it. Yeah, that's a good point like, actually. Uh, d- yeah, mm. people don't think about it. They just go, I want to be a lawyer. Mm. Instead of like, no, I really want to be a scourer. <laughs> yeah. So, so that capacity was absent. Yeah, so that capacity was absent. So um, the sourcing of the raw product um, wasn't quite as easy as we thought. While we we have our own wool, we aren't able to use that in our products at the moment. So we we import Australian wool and then we manufacture it in Australia, but we can't trace it back to our family property, right, which okay. is something we would love to do and we're working very hard to do. We're exploring all options about how we can do it in Australia and continue to make the quality garments that we want to make. Um, To answer the next part of that question, the design and production in Australia was actually quite good, quite easy. The barrier to entry um, is quite low in terms of living in Melbourne. 
we can we've got three or four factories within an hour of here. Uh, they're small scale factories, so they can do small runs of sort of 50 units, which if you were comparing that to China, for example, you'd probably be starting with three to 500 units. So that barrier to entry is low. Uh, and it also gives you the, the added benefit of being able to go and meet with the knitter and work through any issues. So work through um, tag placement, the fit of design, changing a cable knit, you know, adjusting it. You can do that quite quickly and on the fly, which is amazing. So there's definitely pros and cons to manufacturing in Australia. Thank you to Song Bowden Planners, who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website. Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. You've got a wonderful label and design uh, throughout your uh, website and on your products. Uh, where did you – did you get that locally? Did you source that locally or did you do it yourselves? Or? Uh, yeah, so th- again, it's, it's all inspired by uh, our family heritage, the McIntyres. So we wanted to do a contemporary design that uh, gave a nod to the history of our farm and our – our family who's been growing wool for um, over 100 years. So we, we worked with a locally based designer called Robin Riddle to do the uh, logo design. And that was, um, yeah, that was done four years ago while I was working full time in another role. Amazing. Can you explain to us the concept of Meet the Makers? I can. Um, so Meet the Makers, sorry. Meet the Makers came down to the fact that we wanted to give a big hooray to farmers. We're not just another Australian brand. We're not just going to have a ute in a paddock with an Akubra and some gumboots. No, we are not (laughs) that kind of brand. We're not. And um, as an outsider in the farm world, I came in and I saw the work that farmers do. They work hard. They have the knowledge about the little thing, you know, like the growth of grass and they know it all. And you just go like, wow, because it's all for the sheep. So we really wanted to thank the farmers more than the sheep at the end. So yeah, we got Bill, um, Jamie and uh, Dick, his father, his uncle, and Bill is like a long-term friend of the family. And they became our models for the shoot. Fantastic. So that so was we just- we sort of elevated them to hero yes. status. Yeah, yes. that's good. It was a lot of fun dressing three farmers. <laughs> I can tell you that. They just had a lot of fun because they were just like, we look ridiculous and we were just like no you're fashionable um no it was just more to give also outsiders the it's not only sheep doing the work it's the farmers it's the infrastructure the the movement of sheep that just everything around it yeah there's a lot of planning that goes into it yeah and and that's why when we were like let's do a photo shoot i first straight said like we're gonna thank the farmers Mm. not the sheep it's the farms here. And that Meet the Makers photo shoot was all shot on our family farm, Glenno, 
Fantastic. the Western District of Victoria. So it was a really, a really nice way to sort of, uh, as a starting point for the brand, to to use farmers and start where the inspiration came from yep. on the farm. So that nod back to the family history and the, I guess, the nod back to the farmers themselves, that is also reinforced through your shop front. Yeah, sorry, correct. I should, so I should call it your warehouse. Sure, um, showroom. The, sorry, showroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've, um, we've opened a showroom two weeks ago yes. uh, in South Melbourne and we're open two days a week. So it's quite a, it's not your traditional retail model. Uh, it's more of an experience store where we'd like to sort of continue the experience customers can have online. Uh, they can come in store, they can meet the makers in Raquel and I. They can learn more about the, the history of the McIntyres and the wool growing and, you know, see some photos like you said and, and get a nice visual but they can we also hope that they leave knowing more about merino wool mm, and yeah. how wool production occurs yeah and i think hearing that story really um helps with that authenticity discussion that we we're having before it it makes it seem like a more superior product when you understand everything that's gone into it the blood sweat and tears it yeah i think that really helps with the selling i would imagine yeah yeah i think um Look, the good thing for us is we've got nothing to hide. We're just telling mm. telling the story and trying to sort of be as transparent it's a good as story, possible. Though. It's a good, it's a good story, story Raquel and Ned, I think. Thank mm. you. Yeah, thank you. I just think for me it's like I just when you come to our store, for example, right, we have raw wool, we have yarn, and we have the product. Mm. So when you come in, we give you an understanding of like this is raw and this is the end product. It's not just like, oh, come in, we want your money kind mm. of. No, because that's not my... I, I'm not doing McIntyre to make money. I'm, I'm doing here because the education is lost. And wool is such a beautiful fibre. And, yeah, it's you come to our store, we give you coffee, you hang out with us, and then you go away with, with a product and also the knowledge that if you get sick of your jumper, you can just put it in the floor and it just it's biodegradable. I, I think a lot of things have been lost, Jess. A lot of Australians don't realise the agricultural history or the manufacturing history. I know there's the Geelong Wool Museum, yeah, which is fantastic resource. Yeah, it's really good, and that that explains the whole processing of scouring and you know and, and the difficulties of yep. farming. One farmer told me that sheep find incredible ways to die. I mean, they just mm. you just got to look after them so carefully. Um, looking back when you're starting your business. Is there any difficulties you encountered that slowed you down that were perhaps unnecessary, do you think? Interesting question. I think no, actually. We, we were lucky in that um, we started the business gradually. So um, we're in our third year now. And, and for the first two years, I was working full time. And for the first three years, Raquel was working full-time. So Raquel's only been in the business on a full-time basis for less than six months. And so what that allowed us to do was to sort of tiptoe into things and, and test the waters and we, and we didn't need to get a, a huge return on things. So we, we were able to try things and, um, and get going gradually. Just getting back to that uh, slow wearing concept, do you think, it, it may sound odd, but do you think there's a link 
between sort of slow wearing uh, and architecture and city spaces? Any crossover between that? Is it an appreciation for history lo- and sustainability lo- lo- and longevity of something? Longevity. Yeah. I. Th- yeah. Can you ask that again, please? Okay. <laughs> so, just going back to that concept of slow wearing. Yep. Um, do you think that there is some sort of link that the way we can look at architecture and city spaces? I think. Slow wearing is um, slow wearing is about appreciating goods. So it's about what what we spoke about before is a cost per wear, and so a link to architecture I think is uh, a link to quality, a link to quality design, to to something that's well planned uh, and something that's thought about. So yes, I think there's a link there in that. Uh, valuing design, valuing planning, and valuing a quality product. And being timeless. Timeless is a really, really important part of McIntyre as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it's like, if you're onto trend, you do weird things, you do all these things, but then in the next season you just go, oh, I don't really want to wear this anymore. So with McIntyre, we took all this inspiration of the past and we took it into a new kind of like jacket, we just basically put a new jacket over the wall and then we just went like, well, yes, all this new stuff is amazing, but look at this. Like this is this is knits that we used to love and yeah. Yeah. Like for example, funny enough for me, Twin Peaks became this whole kind of thing that I got inspired by and then I would be designing and he's like, what the hell? I'm like, yeah, I'm like Twin Peaks and this whole like weird kind of imagination, but for me, that stands really close to McIntyre because I think he takes a lot of inspi- inspiration. Sorry, guys, the three languages sometimes too much. Um, inspiration from back in the days, like fifties, forties. The and director all. of Twin Peaks. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what we do as well. And I'm not going to say that we're going to have gnomes dancing around in a minute, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's more your. Correct me if I'm wrong. Though. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, <laughs> I, I guess we, we get a lot of inspiration from old Australian-made products, which um, so we're, a hobby of ours is going to op shops and finding great old Aussie-made products. And those books, you know, those knitting books. Yeah, whether it's a knitting book or an actual garment that might have been hand knitted, and we can work out a way to to machine knit it on a on a more um, Industrial scale. So you're looking for sources all over the place. You, you know, yes. You've got so many inspirations out there. And it's not yeah, only which like I'm sure architects and planners yeah. are doing too. Like, mm-hmm. y- you can't just reinvent the wheel every time. You need to go back and reference things that are done in the past. Now, now there's a bit of a disconnect between cities and farms, and you, you're trying to bridge that gap with some of the things you're doing. Mm. And do you see that there's a an, a big appetite? Uh, I think for that connection back to back to the r- the Back to side. the farm. I yeah. think uh, that's an interesting question. Again, I think um, to be honest, when we talk to people overseas, there's a real appetite about Australian countryside. Uh, for instance, we're now working with a distributor in Japan, and they're just fascinated about our farm and our story, and they can't wait to come out and go to the property and and learn more about it and 
I'm not sure if Australian city folk have that desire at, at the moment. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Um, not seeing it on everyday basis. Would you say though as well, I think particularly in Melbourne and maybe again this is the circles that I um, hang out in, mm. but there seems to be a resurgence of the farmer's market and um, buying organic and those sorts of things. Do you, do you sort of see that those ideas and those concepts in principle kind of foster more social connection and um, uh, friendship, I guess, amongst communities that and whether or not that's that's by telling the story or whether that's by, you know, going... Yeah, experience, yeah, going experience. out into those places and meeting different people no. and talking? Well, I disagreed with Ned's statement before because I do think that we are living in a society now that you have... Like, farmer's market's been going on for years, right? Mm. I've been in Australia for almost 10 years now and we've been living in the same kind of area for a while. And... The last three years, only the farmer's market became this thing. Mm. You know, like Saturday morning, you go to the farmer's market, you buy mm. your honey from um, the north side, sorry, we're south siders, and then you just take it home. And and it's like becoming this thing that that it's becoming important. And bigger brands haven't been okay. noticing it as well. You know, like your big brands, like the country roads and stuff, have been noticing that people are more into yeah. it. And mm. I also think that... Yeah, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, yeah. I... I do think that you are wrong. And I also think that we are living in a society now that that the city people want to know rural Australia, but I don't think there's there's a disconnect. And yeah. the disconnect needs to be made for it to be able... Like, I think, for, for example, our farm is three and a half hours away, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> just double-checking. Um, it's not something that you just go like, yeah, let's go to the farm. And I think we live such a busy life in a city. Mm. I don't realise people... People in the city don't realise how hard farmers work. Yeah. How it is a 24-hour... If you're on... If something needs to be done, you're on it. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, and also, you're resilient. You have to rely on yourself. Yeah. Uh, incredible. And I think there's that... I hate to say it, people in the city are soft, but I think that they're not aware of just how difficult the land how is. Demanding. I, how I demanding. Will, I will correct you there. It's not because we're soft. I just think oh, it's sorry, more... Yeah, no, I'm a city girl. <laughs> I made the mistake of buying white gum boots going to a sheep farm. They got chucked out in a day. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I was, my, my father-in-law was like, you are not a dairy farm. I was like, oh, God. I got scrolled <laughs> straight away. Um, um, it's not that we're soft. I just think there is this... Like, when I met Ned, for example, right? I'm a born-raised city girl. And the things that he used to say to me, like, oh, yeah, this and that, like the farm. And I would just be like, yeah, cool, farm, woohoo. Like, again, I bought white gum boots. And then when I finally got there, there was the educational part that I didn't get. And that's why McIntyre for me is so important because I am the city girl that didn't have that educational part of, like, wool doesn't just come from a sheep and you just shear it and then some, some magic happens in between. And then, hey, there you have a jumper. Like, I think that's... Yeah, so the education is yes, the part that's Yes, I think like, like basically there needs to be this middle point. I don't know if it's like, I don't know. We're I, trying to figure it out. I keep thinking of um, Meredith, Goat, Meredith Goat's Cheese, yes. for example. Yeah, like that's example. another good example mm. that city folk flock to that stuff. It's, yep. it's like drugs for, yeah, it for most delicious. city folk. Like yep. the amount of money that people pay for amazing quality cheese is mm. incredible. But I wonder whether or not there's... I mean, there's an amazing story there, I'm, I'm sure, for their background, whether or not they should be doing tours or some kind of, um, I don't know, some some kind of class on how they how they make cheese 
how that yep. actually comes to fruition I think in so. our jars I, like, in the supermarket. I think there's an opportunity there. I think like the wine in industry does that quite well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are sort of um, very comfortable with the idea of going to a winery on the weekend for, for two nights or, you know, travelling out to the Yarra Valley from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but I guess th- with the wineries, they're green, they're lush, they're quite often quite, you know, I, I guess almost seen as luxurious. Yes. I wonder whether, like inviting. how you do that with a farm, how do you create that same kind of experience? It's hard because it's a working area. Yeah. It is, it yeah. Is um, and um, it is much harder than the winemakers, I think. It is because you're dealing with a... It's not as sexy as one. Yeah. No, no, and, and well, yeah. you can make it sexy. You can put a sheep in the paddock. <laughs> yeah. like, hey, this is a sheep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, the reality is that, of course, like sheep, are, they live, they're animals, they're alive, and it's not an easy thing. But we, we spoke about it, and like hopefully in the future we will get to the point that we can take people to our farm yeah. and basically like have that kind of connection because... Again, the, the original house of McIntyre's is still there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the homestead's yeah. still there. And I mean, we've had some ideas around, yeah, whether we could do a, a yearly trip to the farm where we could um, do some sheep work or plant some trees, which is an annual thing we do on the property, or, you know, to, to get our customers and our audience involved with our property and, and yeah. connect them to the land. Like, that would be uh, great for us. One of the other questions we wanted to ask is, we, obviously, with your background in Western Victoria, mm. um, a lot of small towns are going through um, different states of flux, you know, with population and um, development um, and what have you. Is there any... Do you have any general ideas around how perhaps these sorts of industries could play a role in revitalising those small towns? Yeah, I've got, um, I've got an idea. I've got a... Um, a the town of, of McIntyre? Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> Look, in relation to our business, um, it would be great if the scouring and spinning could be done in Australia. Mm. It just doesn't make sense for us, um, if you think about it logically, to to grow the wool in Victoria, send it offshore, then ship it back and then make our jumper here. Like, we want to do it all here. And so the two parts that are missing are a scouring plant and, and a knitting factory. Um, sorry, a spinning factory. Um, and I think that's something that could be done in a town like Hamilton in Victoria. I think um, it's it's not something that's going to happen straight away, but it, it could be a um, strategic thing with the government. And, um, you know, you can create jobs, you can you can add value to the whole wool industry, uh, and and you can potentially turn that into tourism as well. So I do see an opportunity there. And actually, another point on that, um, it's quite a good time because of the rise in wages in China. Uh, We're becoming much more at parity um, than we were in years past. So it's, it's a... It's an interesting time. Yeah. Just on that theme, um, Raquel and Ned, the, what can town and regional planners do to assist new enterprises in these sort of places, do you think? And how do we promote an entrepreneurial culture in rural and regional areas? Uh, I've, I've been to Japan recently and mm. every little prefecture has its own specialty. Yeah. So, no, and there's, I don't know how many prefectures there are, there 90 or something yeah. like that. But each one is known for, you know, the wood products, mangoes, 
candles, whatever, whatever. Yeah. I mean, they and they're really experts in their field. They are, that's right. If you buy that product, it is outstanding. Yeah, I think, um, look, the first thing, you need a good internet connection yes. in country yeah. Victoria to, to run any business in the modern age. Um, and then I think you need to foster that creative spirit. Um, a couple of examples that I can think of of that uh, is Benalla in northeast Victoria. There's a lot of silo art there um, that's gone up recently in the last couple of years. And that's just um, art that's accessible for everyone and just creates a more creative spirit. Is it a pride of place as well, do you think, that sort of... Yeah, I think I think the government or like councils need to just make job sexies again. Like I think, like what I said before about scouring a lawyer, right? A lawyer sounds so exotic, and oh, I'm gonna wear a suit and I'm gonna do this, and then if you think about scouring, you go, oh, I'm gonna scour some wool in my overalls. Um, I think that the government needs to help and councils. Like one of my favorite examples is um, Portugal when they went into recession, the Porto they went really bad. Like, a lot of people moved out and Porto became almost a ghost town kind of mm. thing. So there, the mayor made a decision of putting the rent very low and get all these, like, architects and artists and all these people to just rent entrepreneurs their... Entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs well. to just do their thing. And I, if you ever have a chance, go to it because the city is this booming of young people, well, like, declining in, like, smaller places in Europe. It's booming of young people and it's, like... There is so much like this buzz. You come in there, you become like creative because there's so much going on. And I think that rural Australia and just also like the big cities here can have a, just don't be afraid. We're only like, what is it, 100 years old? Don't be afraid of looking at the neighbors what they have done and just be like, use that and then be like, hey, they are not like what I, but my biggest hate about Australia is we're not knocking down all our history and our houses. Mm -hmm. Reuse it. That's a sustainability thing as well. Like, just reuse what you have. I think in Porto, it was a strategic focus yeah. to encourage creative people to yes. come into the inner city. And that was done by lowering the rents and, and offering loans and um, making it very accessible for the right type of businesses to open up. Mm. Hey, Raquel, you come from Rotterdam. This um, broadacre Australian agricultural sector must have been very foreign to you. How has your different perspective assisted the business? Um, well, first of all, the colours. I'm not afraid of, of chucking in a colour that is a bit more out there. Um, like we said before, like design-wise and just concepts of ideas and I'm not afraid of just telling how, how I feel and like, like I said before, with meet the makers, for example, we could have gone like the traditional Australian design. Oh, we're putting a Cooper head on them and here we go again. Another Aussie brand. No, that's like, that's my whole European input. Correct me again if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think that's 100% <laughs> it's right. It's outsiders and outsiders' view on something is very helpful. Yes. Yeah, and I think um, we've set out to be a global brand from day one. And that's probably very different uh, than if I just started the brand myself. You know, Ra Raquel's influence has meant that we're talking to potential customers in the Netherlands and when we're thinking about Paris Fashion Week and we're thinking about going to Pitti Womo uh, Fashion Trade Show in Florence, 
But it's also funny for me because I look at Australia, right? And then I see such a, like, for example, when, I mo- when we moved to the farm, I saw the whole, like, the beauty of it that I come from the Netherlands. Come on, you can drive through the whole Netherlands in two and a half hours. You can go from top to bottom and there we go again. Mm-hmm. And then when you come into this country that is so lush, like, I couldn't understand why city folk were so like, oh, I'm so happy to just be in Melbourne. I'm like, mm-hmm. look around you. There's so much more going on. And that's the other thing that I think that when we work with McIntyre, for me it's very important that what is Australian is Australian. So it's Australian wool, Australian made with a bit of European edge. Yeah. So Raquel, again, yep. the Dutch cities do very well in terms of their design, their yep. architecture. Um, what can we import into our city spaces from Holland? Do you think? No, just you were in, uh, you were in Holland, weren't you? I was, yeah, mm. last year. Did you go to Rotterdam? Uh, very briefly, only for a day. Did you go to our <laughs> forest, our in-city forest? We have like no. this. You know that Rotterdam is one of the only cities that got bombed, right? Yes. So then they gave all these architects just basically you do you and make buildings. We have a pencil. And we, yeah, it looks like a pencil. We have a forest in the middle of the city and it's houses, they're cubic houses, if you ever go oh. back. And if you go in there, you get like the weirdest head spin because <laughs> they are cubics. And if oh, you no, d- I did go there. Yes, Sorry, and when yes, you fly yes, yes. over it, it's a forest. Yes. So yeah, we still have a forest. In from an aerial yeah. view. Yes, yes, yes. So we call that our forest in the city because you can walk between there and have your lunch there. And <laughs> so, yeah, no, I love I love my city. Proud Rotterdamer, yeah. Um, Good example. We have a nightmare in Holland, in Rotterdam. So there was a decline in, in Rotterdam with younger generation going to the museums. So we got a nightmare in. And he basically, like he's like this amazing character. And what we, what we do in Rotterdam is we have one night of the year, the museums are open to the middle of the night. You party in the museums, you have alcohol. And what that happened is, is that Ned was there when he, like you went when mm. you were in Holland, and it just it just attracts the younger generation to art, architects, and just everything. And the city. And the city, yeah. because everybody flocks from all over the place because it's museum night. And it's more than that too. Like this nightmare, he sits on the council and sort of has that um, the opinion of the younger people and the sort of the, the night economy, uh, which is really I think really shapes the city. Because we, like me, I'm in my 30s, right? And I never looked at the city, like, to my city as, oh, you're boring. No, I always took the beauty out of everything. Like, it's, it's a weird thing. And then I walk in here and I'm like, oh, look at those beautiful buildings. And then they're knocking down another one for a modern one. And then I'm like, my poor heart just goes like, no, I come from a bomb city, please. Like, <laughs> um, Just... Going back to McIntyre Australia, your product ranges, can you tell us some of the names and how that fits in with the whole brand? Yeah, sure. So um, that's actually really easy for us because all our products are named by members of our family tree. So we, um, we just look at the family tree and we go, oh, that jumper looks like a Maria. That looks like the Duncan. That looks like Colin. And... Um, yeah, we, we, we go through the family tree like that. And then all our accessories are named uh, from places in Western Victoria. So um, the Wannan Scarf is a waterfall um, near Hamilton and, and the Mackenzie Scarf is another waterfall in the Western District. And uh, just coming to the end of the podcast, any message to our listeners about yep. city spaces and... 
I th- I've got a message. Um, it's probably a broader message um, that as consumers, you have you have more power than you think, and it, about where you spend money, because spending money on uh, international businesses will help them, but spending money on smaller local businesses uh, can have a real um, a real effect for them. So feel empowered as a consumer. No, I think I'm with that. With that thing, I think. I just hope that we just take the sustainability part of it and just make it work. Like I, like maybe I'm the nag from our from, from the McIntyre, but I am always nagging about the educational part and the sustainability. Like, don't forget, like sometimes reuse things and then make it look better. Like if we talk about buildings, if you have an old building, don't knock it just down. Make something beautiful out of it. The interior can speak a thousand words with like an old thing like I don't know and apart from uh, scouring old op shops and things like that looking for sources how do you unwind travel yeah wine. we do like to travel and wine a lot of it we like to drink <laughs> wine uh, supporting the local businesses oh, yeah. of course. It's very very important we're both members of the NGV and we like to go to the gallery quite regularly um, Raquel's also quite a gamer yes. in her spare time yep yeah, you, you don't, you would not know. You come no, to the house, it's like, who is, no, you got a lot of game consoles. And it's like, no, That's they're all mine. mine, they're all mine. <laughs> I'm the one that locks herself up with Zelda comes out. It's like, I have no time. <laughs> and then it's just like, what? Um, yeah, no, we travel, but yeah, we do a bit of workaholic. So traveling means always work. Looking for things. And Jess, uh, Podcast Extra, what's caught your attention since the uh, last interview? I'm not going to mention the said book again, um, but I've also been looking at Cities Today, which is an app um, which contains a global uh, magazine on sustainable urban development and um, yeah, public and private sector discussions, really. It's really, really interesting. Highly recommend. You're good, Jess. What about you, Pete? Well, it's 70 years since 1984 was published, Jess, and uh, I've been reflecting on the the sort of state of affairs. I think I want to come back as a behavioural awareness uh, official at the at the football. Can uh, can can we just ask Ned and Raquel whether they've read the book 1984? Yes, one of my favourite books. I have not read it, no, so I'm you're like, with me. Well, he's my favourite <laughs> author. He, he's definitely my favourite author, but uh, he talks was, um, about. Um, you know, the speech is controlled, you know, thought is controlled, um, so, you know, uh, all sorts of things. And a lot of that, unfortunately, is around us. So I think we need to resist that and I think we need to really promote free speech. So Pete sorry, nearly fell off his gloomy. chair when I said that I hadn't read it. Yeah, so you're, you're really missing out, you two. Sorry. I've put it on my list. It's one of the most important books of our time. It, it is. It's called being called the seminal work of the 20th century. Very close to how century. Pete described it. So, Jess, <laughs> that's your homework. So, um, Ned Raquel, thank you so much for uh, coming and joining our little podcast. Pleasure. And, thank you for having us. And listeners, um, we would urge you to also have a listen to the Urban Broadcast Collective, which we are part of. And I'll just leave you with the thought that the... The new, everyone should know the best look these days is a pair of RMs matched with a McIntyre scarf and jumper. Is that fair, Ned? That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Yes. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
Thank you.